Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, welcome to Series 2, Episode 3 of the Teachers Podcast. Now last week, just before we got into the interview, I mentioned the very first webinar that I was involved in at Classroom Secrets. And I just wanted to say, thank you so much if you joined us, it was a roaring success. So in this episode, I interviewed the wonderful Stuart Tiffany, founder of Mr T Does Primary History. He's a primary history teaching consultant, and he's also a member of the Historical Association's Primary Committee. So if you're wondering how you can plan out your history curriculum, what you should be considering when mapping out each topic, and how to select the right topics for your school, you're going to absolutely love this episode. There are so many useful tips that Stuart mentions during our chat, so we both hope that you find it really useful, especially for teaching local history. So just before we get to the interview, I'd really appreciate your five-star review on your usual podcast platform. It's not just me behind the podcast. There's all the wonderful guests, of course, but I have a team of people that help me. There's Martin, Kayla, Zoe, Patricia, Cameron, Joel, Louis, Beck, and Emily. It's a lot of hard work each week, but absolutely worth it to bring such valuable knowledge for your teaching practice. But also to introduce you to individuals that may be able to help you in the future. Anyway, the whole team would really appreciate it if you left us a review, so please do. Okay, let's get to my chat with Stuart Tiffany. Stuart, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Hello, it's uh, lovely to, to be here in this very strange world we've got at the moment. I know. I mean, one thing that I'm really looking forward to about this podcast is the fact that we sound the same. <laughs> so, you're <laughs> very just, true, we are quite local. We are, yeah. You're just over the road, really, aren't you? Obviously not in, in Halifax, which is clearly better. But uh, Bradford, not, not far at all. So it's going to be a really nice northern flavour. Um, and I'm not going to pick any up pick up any different accent so this is going to be good uh, but thank you so much for joining me um we've kind of had this on the cards for quite a while i feel um yes and we're finally here unfortunately yes. not in person no sadly not but uh, zoom will do as a good secondary it will it will so tell me your life story uh, well, uh, I'm uh, early 30s. That sounds better than saying that I'm really old. Um, I have been a teacher for 10 years. Geez, saying a decade makes it sound a while now, doesn't it? Um, I've taught uh, mostly in Leeds and a little bit in Bradford. Um, I also uh, now am a freelance educational consultant. I hate that phrase. Uh, writer. So I'm, I really enjoy writing resources and have done some pretty large companies. Um, I Over the past few years, I've really grown to appreciate the importance of work-life balance, which I know you're very, very keen on. And mm-hmm. uh, that's my main aim now, is to, to find that, that nice balance. But uh, in terms of history, because that's obviously what I'm uh, known for a little bit, um, I've always loved history. Um, embarrassingly, my uh, granddad uh, always likes to remind me that at the age of seven, Whilst wandering around a castle in North Wales, I just walked up to him and when he was talking to a random person and said, 
Grandad, I just need to let you know, history is my passion in life. <laughs> Which is embarrassing, but it's quite nice to be able to reflect and go, do you know what? Genuinely, it always has been something that I've really enjoyed. And, you know, the, the Norman, yeah, I mean, the Norman castles of North Wales, we used to visit those every year. It's Harlech, Conway, Carnarvon. Yeah. Um, that's probably butchered most of the pronunciations, but it's fine, we'll live. <laughs> um, but in terms of teaching, so I started, I did a term supply after... Um, graduating, coming to Trinity and All Saints as it was, it's now Leeds mm -hmm. Trinity University, yeah. um, and did a term's worth of supply. Um, my professional reasons to why I did that was to broaden my experience. The actual reason was I couldn't be bothered with the rigmarole of teacher applications. I just wanted a break after four years of a teaching degree. <laughs> um, so one of the schools I worked in was in Bramley and Leeds um, called Whitecourt, and I made some amazing friends there who I'm still friends with. Um, then after four years, wanted a new challenge. So I went to a work in another school in Farsley, which is just next to Pudsey. Yeah, and I used to have a boyfriend in Farsley. It's, uh, oh, well, small world. Um, <laughs> yeah, carry on. For those that, for those that don't know, um, Pudsey is what Pudsey Bear is named after. And it's a historic market town. I won't go too history heavy just yet. Um, and there, it's uh, so I taught there for a few years. And at that point, in hindsight, my well-being and mental health tumbled. Mm. And I'm not blaming anyone other than when I look back at it, oh boy, the signs were so obvious. Mm. Um, so after a few years teaching there, I just, I needed a break from teaching to reassess what I wanted to do and um, had therapy, which if you ever get offered and ever gets suggested it would be useful, jump at it, take it, because it has really changed the way um, I view the world. Mm. And it's, um, so I've always been a very anxious person. And I always thought that's just the way your brain's meant to work. Having now had professional help to work that out, your brain isn't meant to catastrophize everything and always look for the worst possible solution. And the fact that you don't have 48 intricately designed possible outcomes to a conversation, that's okay. Um, so after just over a term, I started doing a bit of supply and I, I went to do a placement at school in Bradford. Um, and really, really found a love for teaching again, which was ju just um, lovely and had been missing for quite a while. And then by chance, um, a lovely Westroyd primary in Farsley needed someone for half a term. Uh, and it was two days a week, which was perfect. So I was just getting back on my feet. And that's now two and a half years later. And I worked there part-time last year, did a day a week the year before, and now I'm on a casual contract there this year because the power of a great head teacher to make you appreciate that you are doing a good job, the fact that one person to show an interest and take care of you as a, a person is mm. just so valued and uh, genuinely, and I have told them this, it is the only reason I am still teaching today. And it's really wonderful to reflect and be able to say, that's that. Um, so when, when I was back on my feet, so this is now about two and a half years ago, I set up a history Facebook page um, called Mr. T Does Primary History, because as we all know in education, it needs to rhyme, because if it doesn't rhyme, nobody's interested. <laughs> um, and I sent a, a message to a couple of large educational page, pages, um, Lee of ICT with Mr. B fame, yeah, yeah. who is just a genuinely lovely person. Yeah, he, sent me some he sent me some advice and it was brilliant. And I set it up with some kind of guiding principles that 
I was going to share ideas and um, if people asked for advice, they'd always get ideas and advice for free. And that's what I've always, that's what I've done. If I'm honest, I thought it would grow if I was lucky, maybe a thousand people. Mm. Uh, it had done that in the first couple of weeks. Um, so now two and a half years later, it's an absolute joy to say that my job is to support teachers and help them improve history teaching. And it's, it's wonderful. And that's so nice as well, because oh, don't you feel like it's often the forgotten subject? It was up until, you know, we had this new education inspection framework where mm. somebody after all this time thought, oh, yeah, maybe the curriculum itself and maybe all the other subjects are important as well. Mm. Now, I know full well lots of schools taught them brilliantly and they deemed them really important. But just that emphasis on the curriculum itself, I think it's really important. Um, and it also helps pay my mortgage and bills. So I'm eternally grateful on that front as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've made me chuckle. Um, so I'm thinking, where do I go from that? Um, so you haven't mentioned in your backstory, but I obviously ask people to send me through some information. Um, and I feel like I followed you a bit, really. Um, history really does interest me. I'm, I'm that person who watches... Um, like a historical documentary with my phone yeah. and where I'm like, um, is that artistic license or is that real? <laughs> because I also feel like watching it helps me kind of cement the, because you, you're watching the story rather than yeah. the facts. It kind of helps you and then you, you need to figure out what's real or what's not. Um, but anyway, yeah, you've, so you've, you send through information and one of the things you mentioned was that you're part of the, Historical Association's Primary Committee. So I thought, yep. tell me what it is and tell me about that. So um, the Historical Association are what's called a subject association. So obviously there's um, the geography, the association for P, blah, 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 blah. Um, the Historical Association, the kind of charity, it's existed for, I think it's about 100 years. And it's really celebrating and showing the power of history. And it has a couple of facets. Now, the, the one I'm involved in is obviously the education branch. Um, which is where it's um, looking at teaching history in schools and there's primary and secondary. Um, and it also does work for further education. And there's also the um, people who are really interested in history and they have local branches all, all around the country. Um, so I sit on the primary committee and that's thanks to an amazing friend of mine uh, called Bev Forrest, who when I was at university, she was my uh, history lecture I don't know if that's the right phrase but I'm going with it anyway and um, I, I just we, we got on very well because obviously we both really like history and it's a real pleasure to be able to say that she was my lecturer 10 years ago and now we jointly deliver training together we work on projects together that's so it's one of those lifelong um, things now in terms of the primary committee um, it's, its goal is to support teachers in teaching history better and this it's grown from strength to strength over the past couple of years which and I'm, I'm not saying there's a causation there's a correlation though is exactly how long i've been on the committee um <laughs> correlation not causation remember and what we do is we kind of it's um it's having that that overall strategy of what is the current precedent that current pedagogical emphasis and how does that impact history um, and, it, and it also has given me some amazing opportunities to present at uh, national conferences. So I've been to Chester and um, would have been to Bristol. There was a bit of a pandemic on the go, so that's been delayed. <laughs> um, and then all around that. So it's, it's, a, it's a way to 
get like-minded people. Um, so there's initial teacher trainers from universities, uh, a growing, there's now a good number of classroom teachers on, on the committee who help steer what we're going to do to support uh, schools, essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay, brilliant. So in your school then, you... I'm assuming you're the history lead, but I didn't actually check that. <laughs> um, ironically, no. Um, so at the moment, I'm on a casual contract. So I do kind of uh, supply cover until January when I'll be in there a bit more regularly again. Um, last year when I was in part time, and this is something I say in the training sessions because it makes me smile, um, is obviously being a history specialist and training teachers around the country on how to teach history. Obviously, I was in charge of PE. Makes total sense. <laughs> um, so, I mean, sport is genuinely another one of the things I'm really enthusiastic about. Last year, I started playing rugby again for the first time since I was 18, uh, when a shoulder injury put pay to that. Um, but the head teacher and I both really love sport, and we really. She said, "I'd like you to lead it because I want to drive the improvement. I want to have a real emphasis on it." Um, so. That's what I did last year. Now, um, the history leader is a person I've known for since I started teaching. She was in the partner class uh, in my NQT year, and she is wonderful, and she was a history lead. So between the two of us, we obviously co-wrote everything as well, but officially her name was above that title. All right, okay. So that was my question, actually. Is it um, a case of your input into uh, sort of the training at your school, or is it that the curriculum has kind of been written by you and the history lead? <laughs> um, it's a weird situation, but it always makes me smile. Um, it's a bit of both, really. So um, the year before last, I did the, a staff meeting when we were really starting to think about curriculum on how to actually build a unit of history and how to see it as, as a kind of, sounds a bit pretentious, a linear structure, not just those, if you can remember five, ten, you know, five, ten years ago when you had the classic, it's a topic lesson. No, it's not. It's a craft lesson that we're pretending is history. Um, yeah. What we did was kind of change that approach and have that linear structure. Um, so all of the planning that I write, that um, I write commercially, um, they have access to and we kind of talk through how to use and adapt it. But the main thing to consider when you think about curriculum is clarity of thought as if you say, right, we're learning about the Romans, the list of what you could teach is endless. You've got people doing PhDs on um, Roman military history between the years X and Y. So it's about that clarity. And that's one of the things that we really sought. And um, one of my real bugbears, and this is not getting at anyone in particular, it's not getting at anything in particular, but it's those tenuous pretend links to the wider curriculum. And I just feel the urge to say at every opportunity, why are you doing that? If it doesn't enhance your history or geography, don't do it. All you're going to do is confuse people. So that's one of the things that we've really focused on is that clarity of thought. And it's, I mean, it's not actually as difficult as you thought. For instance, um, last year, my, my lovely job share, who dealt with me for a year, and that is a task in itself. Um, we, we would, for, for the Romans, we were teaching mosaics in art. And to bring that back to learn more about the Romans themselves, we just added a conclusion at the end of the art project. Now that you've made your mosaic, what does it tell you about the Romans? And from that, we can elicit they were skilled craftsmen. The children fully understood why only the wealthy people had them because of the time taken to design, cost of resources, etc. Yeah, It's yeah. just that clarity, really. Yeah, why are you doing it? I think um, 
in the early days of Classroom Secrets, I, I wrote quite a few history resources. Um, they were actually reading resources, really. Um, but to do that, I ended up like getting loads of books. And something that I felt was difficult was that sometimes in history, it's, it's hard to find the depth that you that you could have so yeah. you can you can go read an adult history book which you don't really have time to do and then try and pick out what you need or you could read sort of a history book that that's on the shelf in a classroom but is it really enough is is there enough depth in that lesson that's something i struggled with when i was in the classroom primary teaching i, I felt like the history lesson sometimes you know if you were given any kind of planning or it was from a scheme you'd have like maybe two points You'd have maybe five minutes of things to say, but where do you kind of go from there, really? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's one of the things that lots of schools are now really considering is um, teach less, but teach it in more depth. Mm. I mean, what? How many subjects are we up to now? Is it about fifteen, twenty, something like that? No idea. That in terms of that, t- in terms of that time given and time allotted to the wide, you know, the breadth of the curriculum, those choices are really, really crucial. Because if you're going to spend um, two hours on this, then what can't you do? And one of the one of the elements I really can uh, try and get across whenever I'm doing anything curriculum related is you start with the statutory question, you know, the statutory statement. Mm. Because there is this curriculum we've got now, which even though it's like six years old, I still call the new curriculum. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so even that is the only statutory guidance that has to be front and centre. And it, it's a case of coming up with what knowledge do my children need to know to meet that statement. Once I've got that, then I look at those curriculum aims, which are often under undertaught. And that gives us that sense of breadth of why am I, th- why am I considering this over that? Which of these are fitting in, essentially? So on that then, what tips have you got? So this question actually came from Joe Evans. From uh, she's one of your followers. What, what tips is, have you yeah. got for putting together? I've you see you said he is. I've just written J O, but it's J O E. Let's just make that clear. Joe Evans. Um, <laughs> so you see, that's the thing when you're kind of on a, a voice call, you just don't know. Yeah. Do you? Um, Very true. So anyway, Joe says, "What are your top tips for putting together a sequence of learning?" So this is something that uh, it comes up a lot and it's, it's that sense of clarity. Now, just to preface this with, if you are using, because there's so much academic research out there, it's now more dominant in terms of people knowing and understand it. If you are following a specific approach, such as, um, you know, the cognitive science led knowledge, rich, we're using knowledge organizers, graphic organizers, blah, 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 blah. That's fine, totally fine don't mind, go with whichever you feel best. But what you need to have is a clear sense of context. And this is one of those elements that I really try and reinforce, which is to start with, set what your new teaching into that existing framework. And one of my favourite questions to ask is, if you imagine drawing a timeline across the room, whichever one you're in listening to this now, imagine on one wall is the Great Pyramid of Giza being built. And on the other wall is now, as in today, whichever date you happen to be listening to this. Where would Cleopatra sit, as in her life? My favourite response to that is somebody looked at me smirked, they knew what they were doing, and said, do you mean the 90s pop group or the Pharaoh? I have never enjoyed a comment so much in my life. Obviously, I mean the Pharaoh. And it's that case of, do we, have, do we see history as that 
that with that sense of narrative that's crucial or do we have it in that isolated episodic understanding of we know lots about this block this block this block but we don't fit them together and to that end um, my biggest tip is spend more time on chronology mm. it's not just i'm going to sequence some pictures from a well-known resource website we have to actually unpick what it represents. We have to look and you know examine those contrasts and those trends. And the fact that there is actually an overlap between the Iron Age and the Romans of about 100 years. Mm. Julius Caesar, 55 BC, and uh, Claudius in 43. Um, does, that, does that mean that in that 100 years, everybody stood there still twiddling the thumbs? No, of course it doesn't. And it's, yeah. it's that it's that sense of narrative if you know if i was talking to people I, I usually said look it's got the word story in it so teach it with that sense of story and then once once you've got your overview all of your subsequent lessons add knowledge to what you've introduced so mm. if you say so if you've got any timeline boudica then spend a lesson on boudica now for local history because i know we had a chat about that before we wonderful people of yorkshire why don't we teach about our local iron age tribe a lady called Cartimandua, who um, she became a client queen and cooperated with the Romans for 20 years. When she, and it's looking at that kind of quite complex politics of, she cooperated. That meant she was seen favorably by the Romans, but the Iron Age Britons, not so much. So -hmm. when they came to attack her, the Romans came to defend her. And seeing that cause and effect, that, that complexity across that narrative gives it um, a better understand overall picture. I find it really interesting that you're talking about the timeline because, you know, when you when you say we've moved away from like oh we're doing this as separate topics, you've mentioned uh, you're a few years younger than me, I think. And when I think back to history at school in primary, it was very topic based, and you know we've already talked about how I'm watching. Um, I like watching historical dramas yep. and I'm, I'm looking and I feel like I'm constantly searching to work out where that fits yeah. in the whole. I'm, I'm, as an adult, I'm still trying to piece all that together. Um, and it might have been helpful if I had that at school. But I mean, it's that sense of narrative and it, it's really crucial. It's like trying to understand a storybook in English if you um, don't plot it in that linear nature. You know, when you have the your storyboard of your cartoon strip, mm. that's a very simple, simple version for the way history can be viewed. And if we teach it with that narrative and actively link it together, it's really important. Now there's nothing wrong with teaching topics. That's topic led approach, nothing wrong with it. You just have to teach children what the subjects are because otherwise, and it always makes me laugh when high school teachers, a few high school teachers have said this to me is when the children join us in year seven, they've no idea they've actually learned history because they just call everything topic. Yeah. And, it's, and it's just that case of getting the children to know topic's not a lesson. It's that <laughs> overarching thing that, um, that we learn from. So as part of this topic, we've got this art, this geography, this history, this DT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The children don't always know. Um, yeah. So obviously we've talked about a little bit about local history and our yeah. local history. Um, so... Tell, tell me who it was again, so not Boudicca. A uh, lady called Carti Mandua. So Carti uh, Mandua, for example, I've never heard of her. So if I was teaching history now, how do I even go about trying to figure out what to teach in terms of the local history? Because the thing is, you can go to a well-known resource site, you can download a load of stuff for, for history, but when it comes to local history, that's where 
it gets really tricky. Absolutely. And um, I'm just going to, I'm going to make two distinctions. Um, we should teach more local history. And honestly, it, it, it's easier than you'd think. Um, so if we think about the, the British history topics that I mentioned, obviously the Romans is the one I mentioned, that local history should feature as part of a, every single one of those. And it's, it's not actually as difficult to make those links. Um, Prehistory, it is more difficult because we didn't have definite kingdoms until you know the kind of bronze of the iron age but it's really crucial that we met we look and um, there are a couple of ways to do this um historic have we have you heard of historic england yep yep so historic england um had however many years ago english heritage broke into two strands now historic england do an amazing scheme uh, scheme called uh, heritage schools and um, I'm going to say a magic word in a second, and it's free, there's your magic word, and they will come to your school and train teachers on how to teach that set with heritage properly. They will also help you teach local history. Um, so you can, you can look at your locality uh, really in depth. And it's just such an amazing system that they've got because it's DFE funded. Mm -hmm. Now that's one, that's the ideal way to do it, to get someone in to support you. If that's not possible, because we all know education is complex and ever-changing, um, there are a couple of ways. Number one, um, speak to your local archives and museum services. Right now, they are crying out to help schools because they're not able to do a lot of what they did. And they are the experts. They've got all of those resources. And if you contact them, they are just so wonderfully helpful. Um, the other ones are things like local history societies, and it's really, really useful to speak to them. But you just a little word of caution. They are the experts. They know a heck of a lot, but they're not teachers. Mm. So what you need to be really, really mindful of is just say exactly what you want. And if they're <laughs> going to come in and help, just give them a time limit and say, this is what the children need to know. And just have a quick look beforehand because their passion can extend so much further than the children will be able to understand. Yeah. And you don't want the children to start squirming after 20 minutes whilst they're going through a painstakingly put together presentation on doorways in Hunslet <laughs> that lasts 45 minutes and goes into the real depth. So it's for local history, it is harder to put together, but the support's out there and it's that two way street. Mm. Um, I've got myself a bit confused on to which ones are going to. So that's actually how to plan the local, you know, the local history bespoke studies. And in key stage one and early years, start that with the school building itself. Don't, it doesn't have to be so grandiose. It can be the street that it's based on, the local park, and it can work outwards. And um, Bev, who I mentioned before, is doing a local history fellowship uh, through the Historical Association. So if that's of interest to people, um, if they get in touch, I can happily pass on the details of how to do it. And then look at what's made your area what it is today. So for, for me growing up in Leeds, it's wool. It's, it's the wool trade. Mm. Army Mills went there as a child, didn't fully appreciate that that was the largest mill in the world at one point. Mm. But understanding those stories. The other ways to tie it in are things like remembrance. Go and visit the local memorial and use, and use the internet to actually find out who those names are. Because the reason why I'm such a big believer in the power of local history is if the children don't know what made their area, what it is, why would they respect it? Mm. 
why would they appreciate it? Whereas if we actively teach them the value, the strength, you like playing in that park. Well, this is the person that put it together. Isn't that a great story? And it's really important. And then when we embed it in British history, it's just a case of a bit of active thought of which Iron Age tribe were we in? What would our local Roman settlement be? Which yeah. Saxon kingdom? Would we be in the Danelaw or Wessex? And it's, it's that level of, it's just having, being mindful of going, this is the national picture. What happened where we live? And it's bridging those two together, really. Yeah. No, that's really, really helpful because I think what's easy to, to think about is, okay, well, as long as we cover it once and the easy thing is to talk about Victorians because we, we kind of know more about that and, um, and you don't always think of these things. But yeah, local, I guess, could be even county-wide. And, yep. you know, all these things that you've mentioned, I think, oh, yeah, I'm thinking, I do know about a lot of local history. I thought I didn't, but I probably do, actually. Yeah, and it's, it's just that, that sense of if you're only going to do it twice, once in Key Stage 1, once in Key Stage 2, that's, you know, obviously the minimum requirement, then which are the most fundamental parts for the children to appreciate to understand their locality? And it's that sense of what made it what it is. Mm. Yeah, really interesting. So I feel like I've really, really quizzed you there. Um, it's fine. <laughs> something else that you mentioned in your um, bit of information that you gave to me was that you're starting a video podcast, which <laughs> yes. really excites me. So tell us all about that. Um, well, obviously in uh, lockdown, um, as we all did, I had a bit too much time on my hands. Um, and I thought, what would I, I like to I was not in do? that camp, but anyway. <laughs> in fairness, neither was I. But I theoretically <laughs> had time on my hands. Um, and it's just just a, a quick five to ten minute video um, about an aspect of history that the children could listen to as they came in after lunch, just to add that sense of purpose. Now, I've done... A few videos so far. The reason I made it a video and not um, just audio is because I made the conscious decision to underpin it with chronology because I know that's what teachers find really challenging. So on the actual videos themselves, there are in kind of timelines that I talk through to give that sense of narrative to focus on which, um, which part of history we're focusing on for that particular reason. The aim, he says, hopefully, um, is to get kind of one version out a month. Um, obviously, when writing and teaching commitments come into, that's not quite happened. But um, it just it's something that I really enjoy researching and putting together. So the current one that I'm working on, which will hopefully be out for October, is about, the, it's key stage one, it's about the first flight. And just to link this idea of this one event um, it didn't happen by accident. People have been trying to work out how to fly for hundreds, maybe thousands of years beforehand and get the children in Key Stage 1 to think, oh, it didn't just happen. Oh, that, mm. that was a real turning point. And, get there and then give them that opportunity to go, I've been on an aeroplane. Well, if I lived 120 years ago, there was no chance. If I lived 60 years ago, there was very little chance. So mm. they can see that change over time and not just those this is an isolated event i can't really associate with it and yeah. Um, yeah that's that's the plan with those um the they are interesting to put together um so i, t I record them uh, me basically talking over a powerpoint um the blooper reel is lively <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. that shall never see the light of day 
What are they called? What's it called? Uh, so it's the Children's History Video Podcast. Um, if you just search Mr. T Does Primary History on YouTube, it's one of the playlists. Um, in terms of going forwards, that's going to be a real project to get those out each month. And be, because they're on YouTube, it means they can either be just put on when children come in or they can be part of their teaching. So I had a friend um, say that the Florence Nightingale one is now part of their teaching scheme, which is rather flattering. Yeah, that I was just looking now. That's great. As soon as you said key stage one, so my daughter's in reception, which I know is not technically key stage one, but she would love to know about flying. Mm. And it's um, what I'm trying to come uh, cover with them is some of the lesser known people or some of the lesser known events. So I did the um, the second episode. Um, I always tie myself in knots with this. There's each of the episodes has a couple of parts. Mm -hmm. normally um so there's kind of episode two part one part two part three um so the last episode that I cut out was all about significant queens um so there was Boudicca and Cartimandria who I mentioned and then um an Anglo-Saxon queen called Ethelfled um who I came across by watching The Last Kingdom which is on Netflix and I adore um but she's just such an incredibly strong charismatic character that not many people would have heard of Mm. because she's let you know she's less lesser known lesser taught and it's those those stories that i want to get across um and it's um it's that kind of mindset that this isn't podcast related um that mindset that really influenced um the big writing project that did july into august on uh, how we can add diversity into primary history effectively um which was obviously rather topical at the time mm -hmm. and um seeing the outcry and seeing lots of people look for it I thought I'd, I'd take a look at it and work and just look at how it could be done and trying to integrate um history I, it was that um I don't know who said this phrase I think it's Maya Angelou but I could be wrong if you don't know where you've come from you don't know where you're going yeah. which made me think really carefully are we giving children the opportunity to see themselves reflected in what they're learning or are we teaching about a lot of dead white men mm. so it's that sense of breadth that i'm trying to get across and it's really i think it's really valuable yeah i think it's really important something that that you said then just just reminded me um when i was um 15 i went to um the usa and we actually stayed with the family um it was a family that my mum had, had made friends with through some people and um when we were there i can't remember why it came up but it was all about that. Um, I think they homeschooled actually, but they learned our history, and that confused me because yeah. at school I'd learned Russian history, uh, but that linked to us, and yeah. I'd, I'd learned all about our history, and I realised through that process that they'd learned our history because that was their history, and I remember thinking at the time that must feel really strange that you're not learning who you think you are yeah um so it is important that we're that we're encompassing where a, a, a vast range really and and a diverse range of, of mm -hmm. who we really are as as a complete society now yeah and it's um the way i tend to approach things um is to really consider to look at those individuals those events those turning points where you can look and think oh that's the legacy Mm. So it's not just, oh, this happened in the past. 
they did all of these things, but kind of, you know, what's the legacy, you know, what's the legacy, how has it influenced our lives today? And as I said before, I mean, the curriculum we've got now, it's a double-edged sword. You can look at it with, well, that doesn't offer us very much or great. We don't have to do very much. We can, we can carry on as we were, or can we see it as to re- to help us really value what we see as important? And it's, it's more challenging to do. There's no way about it. And I know, you know, well-being and work-life balance are absolutely vital. But that's why I'm making a point of, because I can produce these resources, I can look and go, I can spend the time researching that. I can, you know, make that effort to, to put those things together to help those teachers, which is why Ethel, the story of Ethel Fled is just, it's wonderful. And the fact that... Um, the Mercian, chronic, the Mercian Register, which is their written document from the time, said she was Lady of the Mercians, but the West Saxon, which was ruled by uh, West Saxon, that's Wessex, ruled by her brother, said she was Edward's sister. Mm. And looking at that, you know, looking a bit deeper into those sources and thinking, actually, hang on a second, he's, is that a shrewd political move or do we yeah. need to spend a bit more time on those? Yeah, it's it's interesting because just mentioning those things, it's I think one of the reasons why we struggle to teach history in in primary is because you know lots of portions of history are on Netflix and dramatised because of <laughs> <Yeah>. the scandal. <laughs> and that's Absolutely. that's what makes it difficult about teaching it in primary and making it interesting because we can't really cover the scandal. The bit that we're yeah. all interested in. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. It's that it's that picking picking those moments and that you know doing it justice. And uh, are we teaching that because we've always taught it, or are we teaching it because of the value? Um, so, I mean, one of my absolute favourite things to research and teach um, is early Islamic history, which was one of the additions on the 2014 curriculum, and it is utterly fascinating. And it, and the reason I like it, and the reason I think it's so valuable is if we think of the choices that we've got for that particular curriculum statement, um, the majority of people went for the Maya. They were based in South, uh, kind of Central South America. Mm-hmm. Rainforest culture did incredible things, absolutely incredible. But lots of schools went for that one because maybe there were lots of resources that came out quickly for them. Maybe it links with geography or maybe it's the least controversial. So what I've tried to do over this um, summer when I've been, I delivered, God, I think it was about 14, 15 free webinars on diversity, um, was to kind of really get people to reflect on what they're choosing to teach. So it's things like, if you have a number of, if you have a number of children in your school from West Africa, why aren't you teaching Benin? That's their heritage. Yes, yes. If you have children who are Muslim, why aren't you teaching early Islamic history? Because it was one of the one of the facts that I really enjoy. I really enjoy using because it makes me smile. Is there are about seven to nine million people descended from the Maya who still celebrate that culture in Central and South America? But if you're really honest, you're unlikely to ever meet one. Not but not are you going to meet? Here, yeah. Correct. Um, but are you going to meet someone where? Islam is their, you know, that's really central to their cultural identity. That's central to their heritage. That's why I think it's so important. And then when you compare the fact that Baghdad had, um, it was built as a perfect circle. What a feat of engineering. It was done using astronomers and engineers. And then you think, 
And then you think, let's compare this house of wisdom that they had, which was university, um, academy, library. Let's compare that to Britain at that time. We don't come off very favorably at all then. And it's sharing those achievements that the world has brought to us. We use the Hindu Arabic number system. Mm. Emanates from this kind of region. Think of, you know, the medical advances, the scientific astronomy advances. It's just, it's A, fascinating and B, it's really relevant because if we don't teach about the heritage accurately, where are they going to learn it from? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what really drives me with that one. And it's interesting really because um, I think there's good reasons for teaching both. But when I, when I think about the, the places, I feel like, you know, well, Mexico's really far away <laughs> for a start. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really far away from what we know. It, fe- it feels more... I don't know. I can't think of the word. More abstract. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, to to what um, we can kind of link it to that, that we already yeah. know. I mean, that's not to say we shouldn't teach the Maya. The Maya are fascinating and yeah. genuinely incredible, amazing things. But it's just that thought process of being really mindful of why that choice. And that's, you know, that kind of curriculum context of children's cultural capital the children's context, which is going to be more valuable if you can only teach one. Now, I was really interested to hear that quite a few schools are now teaching more than one. Yeah. They're teaching the Maya because it helps understand, the, because it helps um, bridge that gap between the geography and the history. But they're also teaching Benin or Islamic history for that reason. I find that really interesting. And, you know, we can see the curriculum in two ways. Is it a benchmark or is it a minimum standard? It's... I always like to think of it as a minimum standard of you. That's not what we should be aiming to teach. That's what we should be uh, teaching and going beyond. Especially if you've got a timeline approach and you can manage to fit it in and you can, you can cover um, the opening statement, as you said before. Um, So just a, a last kind of question, probably on history before we, we talk about some other things. If you could teach one historical topic, what would it be and why? Well, I, 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 it's a brutal question. It's a brutal question. I mean, there's several, uh, whilst we were talking, I was, I was thinking of several fad answers where I can kind of cheat my way through, but I'll be good. Um, if For me, I teach local history because it's, it directly impacts and influences the children. Um, and it's them seeing the world around them and how it was shaped. And then they can learn, you know, they can learn about the past and they can look at it and go, oh, that's why this is the way it is. Didn't realise that. When they walk past the park, they think, wasn't it really kind that that person donated that to the city? And it's those, you know, that sense of philanthropy, those turning points that directly affect the children. Because once we've started with that, we can work outwards and it helps go from kind of in to out. I also feel like the things that they'll remember more um, and the things that... I think for for me, things I know, I probably maybe learned that from my mum and she might not have known it. She might have read it, but mm. it's the things you pass on, isn't it? So it's like passing it down. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, you know, passing heritage from one generation to the next. And that's where, you know, every child seeing themselves represented in what they learn is really crucial. Be that, you know, um, really strong female leads in the books that they read, um, having characters from a number of ethnicities or um, a brilliant book that I've just got hold of called I am not a label which is just pay it's just it's 34 amazing people 
who did amazing things that happened to have a disability mm. to give those aspirational role models as well. Yeah, to, to make sure that they're, they've got a strong place as well. Yeah. Um, no, you, do, you definitely remember about local history. Do you know that Halifax, um, apparently, they invented the guillotine. We have one. Um, Amazing. That. That's great. There you go, you see. But the Love thing it. is, the reason why we probably know that is because we've got one. In, yep. in town where we can go look at it <laughs> so just to re- just to remind oh, you when easy. <laughs> yeah we were good at death oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean that's the story of history in itself death destruction and fighting and scandal <laughs> <laughs> and scandal we love a good scandal <laughs> yeah. um so just moving away then um a little bit from history um so i have some good questions from the team and um lisa she said, "What ways? in what ways did taking a break from teaching help you in the profession later on when you kind of came back to it? Um, well, I mean, the main one is it helped me sort my health out. I, I mean, that's, that, that's to be quite, I mean, I know it's quite blunt, but it's definitely the honest truth is sometimes you need to step away to reflect on actually yeah. what you're doing. And I mean, some of the work habits I had were so unhealthy, you know, that kind of, I am going to get this complete, that never ending jobs list. Yeah. And it's helped me come to the realisation of I can't do everything and teachers cannot do everything. And it's really crucial that the expectations are realistic Mm. and the expectation of, do you know what? I can't do that in the time you give me. I need longer or I need time to do it and actually asking for that. And then if if there isn't time to do it, then then having the bravery sometimes to say, well, I'm sorry, I can't do it in the way you want me to. That's the main one. Um, it also really it helped me think really carefully about what I value as a teacher and the fact that I mean when I was not at my best shall we say lots of the teacher lots of teacher friends were in, you know saying with the best of intentions about if you're not at your best can you do the best for your children and in hindsight no you absolutely can't no. and it's about you recognizing in yourself that you need a hand and that's why I love the school that I work at now because they know that I've had difficulties with it in the past and I know I can go and talk to them about it. And, you know, that open dialogue to be able to say, I'm struggling here. I need some help, please. You need to know, don't you? That, um, yeah, totally. this, is, this is one thing I've, I've found with schools because you never know what, you never know what you're going to get. It can be so different and that is a real difficulty. Mm. Um, but to know that you can have an open conversation that's not going to affect anything later yeah. on, just just be honest about how you're feeling and see Tot- people I mean, find totally. a way through. When I've had um, a couple of interviews for jobs and um, I've totally opened and said I struggle with anxiety. And I'd say it very openly and say, you know, it's not it doesn't impact 99% of the times, but I just want you to be aware of that and actually mm. be, you know, and appreciating that there isn't, a, you know, in the past there was definitely that sense of there was a stigma about it but now thankfully people are waking up and going this is totally normal mm. this is one of those things i always find it quite ironic that um, given the job that i do going around uh, standing in front of schools as the uh, the specialist as a person that's naturally very anxious the irony's not lost it always makes me smile but yeah <laughs> and it's one of those things of how you deal with it that's the crucial part but part of acknowledging it is part of dealing with it anyway absolutely so by being able to say that makes you more reflective and i'm like i'm really into personal development and all that whole stepping back and having a look and um 
I just know that it's really helpful. Um, can I move on to my uh, four questions that um, I Go like to it. ask people? And I know that two of them are really hard. So <laughs> if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem? I would get rid of daft paperwork. And when I say daft paperwork, I'll quantify that just so there's that sense of clarity that I mentioned is really important. Um, one of the big things that lots of people are thinking about at the moment is assessment in the foundation subjects. And if I can say one thing to those people is stop using pointless spreadsheets. <laughs> because, you, you know, when you see them and you think, oh, there's 26 boxes that I have to complete for my 30 children. I teach about 20 hours of history across the year. Am I going to teach all of these fully and completely and be able to give an accurate assessment? Or am I going to be a little bit honest and just put the ones that are good at reading are really good, the ones who aren't so good at reading? And it's, it's that kind of just step back and go, who's this for? Mm. Why am I doing this? And if the answer is not 100% clarity of this is for the benefit of the next teacher, this is for the benefit of the children, then don't do it. It's, yeah. and it, it's that level of, you know, importance. I mean, I could mention, you know, those kind of, I know some schools insist on planning, which must be submitted onto the platform on the Sunday before, and it will be handed back to you on them. And it's like, that gets, covered, that gets covered a lot. But my real bugbear is that, you know, that, paperwork for the sake of paperwork we don't need to generate data unless it has a purpose mm. let the data go that'd be you know, that'd be that'd be the main one i think and because we wouldn't have that pressure to be able to say oh yes we can evidence this box in this lesson this box in this lesson we can actually think about what we're teaching yeah. is this lesson teaching the knowledge that's really important my children learn or is it just a box ticking exercise that they can can sequence five random pictures that don't actually have any bearing Part of me wonders as well whether it's the way we teach because you know I'm imagining that spreadsheet and we have something for every lesson and they, they met it in the lesson or they didn't but when it's history yeah. you're not going to go revisit that are you so you either passed or you failed yeah are we so are we wanting them to remember facts or are we wanting to make are we wanting them to experience something that that is kind of more about them as a person so when totally. they in the next history lesson or the yeah. next year to just have a rounded it, yeah. view. It's that, it's that clarity. Of, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not hard. It's assessment something I'm going to come on to at some stage, probably in the new year where I just want to look and go, can I work out how to put it together in a, in a simple but effective purposeful way without resorting to death by Excel? Although <laughs> spreadsheet software is available, of course. Where um, do you think education is going in the next 10 years? That's a tricky one. And it depends on a couple of kind of external factors. Either it's going to go very much towards the um, academy structure chain of some academy chains. And this is not direct to any chain in particular at all. It's going to go to that discipline is absolutely crucial. Exclusions are facts of life. Or are we going to go appreciate that children need that holistic education? that some children need that additional support and it, that balancing act. The other one that I can see we go is, um, is too far in the other direction, which is we go, actually, what they're learning is secondary. We want that bit, you know, we need to sort out, the, we need to make sure the child gets all of those experiences. And it's, you know, those two kind of approaches. Do we have really rigid, regimented, doctrinal 
curricula where we have in this lesson you will learn this piece of knowledge next lesson i'm going to quiz you on this piece of knowledge here is a knowledge organizer where i'm going to make sure that you self quiz on this knowledge or are we going to go a bit too blasé which is where you have those kind of oh we're going to go on this trip we're not going to give you any knowledge about the trip before you go on it we're not really going to follow up on the trip after you come back from it but what we're going to do is we're going to have a lovely day because that's a really good experience. And for me, what I'd like to see is that balance. Mm. Knowledge is power. There's no way of escaping from that. You know, the academic research it really does show that. But we need to remember that they're children. We need yeah. to remember that we're giving these children experiences. And it's that, it's that balance in the middle that I'm hoping takes place, given that we're at the whim and will of our political overlords. Um, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always have some great answers to that question which <laughs> oh I could have ranted I tried really hard not to rant that was that was a measured response than what could have happened I don't I don't I'm not averse to a ranter um but who was your favorite teacher at school and why um well there's 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 two um there was one in primary school called Mr Williams who was uh he taught me in year three and he was the uh Sports he was a sports teacher as well, head of PE, because he was a male in primary school at that time. He was the only male teacher. He was in charge of PE whenever he went to competitions. There was a bit of gender stereotyping I experienced then. Thankfully, you don't see it as much now. And he was just a really kind, lovely fella. And he was just such a good role model because, you know, it's really important that children have those role models they can relate to and aspire to in primary school. And then the other one um, was a high school history teacher called... Um, uh, Miss Durnford, who taught me history from year nine all the way through to A-level. And I I don't think I was a... Uh, I, I worked hard at high school. I got the good grades, thankfully. But, oh, I liked to be that awkward person. You know, that kind of person that asks that question, that they know full well is a provocative question, and they know full well what it's going to spark. Uh, spark but they grin and smirk every time they ask that question. And she puts up with me for those. And I have to say, uh, I am friends with her on Facebook. And uh, I really, I said, when I launched the page and it was doing the history business and it was doing so well, I, I said thank you for, to her because she'd had an influence on that. And it was lovely. It's funny because you, you remind me quite a bit of my brother-in-law. Um, he's, he's not from Yorkshire, he's from the West Country. Um, and he's not a teacher, but he does love history. And he would have been exactly like that. Yeah. Still it's, like that now. It's fun to twist knowledge to what you want to do with it. And it's fun to ask those questions that you know are provocative. And I still enjoy doing those. I'm just far better at choosing when to do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and finally then, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I mean, there's that quintessential, I'm going to be a professional sports person. Um, football at primary school, switched to rugby in uh, high school because I was a lot taller and a, quite a lot stronger than the other people, which made life easier. Um, sadly, that didn't happen. If I'm telling a little bit of a lie, that's because of the serious shoulder injury that I had through high school. That ruined the career. Um, <laughs> given how accident prone I am, in the first year back of playing rugby last year, in the first game, I ripped my ear, which had to be glued back together. Oh. Second, it gets better, it gets worse. Second game, cracked ribs. That's the worst pain I've ever experienced. And uh, a, a mild concussion. So that obviously was never going to happen. Um, I honestly can't remember. Uh, through high school, I did A-level law, enjoyed that. Uh, went to university for a, a little bit to do that and thought, no, this isn't for me. 
and I'd always had in back the back of my mind being a teacher. So high school work experience, done te- uh, did it at school, being a teaching assistant, worked for a year as a teaching, kind of voluntary teaching assistant, and we've gone from there. So it's always been in the background, if not the foreground. Oh, I'm glad you can't remember. I don't really know what I wanted to be either. I just knew that I definitely didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> so many people say that. Yeah, but, you know, it came around to me in the end. Well, yeah. It was, it was always there. So thank you so much. I think this is going to be really, really helpful, especially about local history and, yep. and, and sequencing your, your, your history curriculum, basically. Um, so thank you so much so everything that we've talked about will be in the show notes um, so people will be able to access your website and see your Facebook page and things and um, follow you on Twitter hopefully well thanks very much for having me on super thank you thank you so much for listening clarity of thought depth of lessons leading with narrative and chronology what an amazing dive pun intended, into everything that primary history could be in your school. I'd love to know if you'll be building on or changing your current history curriculum after listening to Stuart. If I was in school now, I think I'd take one of my history topics, because there's no sense in overdoing it, and experimenting with going back to the statutory statement with one of the aspects that I was covering and just seeing where I could take it. I'd love to know if you're going to do this too. You'll find everything that Stuart and I talked about in the show notes. Our listenership has grown so much during the past 15 months since we started the show. So if you love listening, I'd be so grateful for your five-star review on your usual podcast app. You can also join me in the Teachers Podcast community on Facebook. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high-quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.